The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We're going to enter into Ezekiel this morning. That's a book in the Bible. And uh, we're going to just touch on it in a way that, uh, for me, I've, I've really enjoyed. Because the book itself is a book full of judgment. Because God has called the prophet Ezekiel to speak to his people who have rebelled against him for hundreds of years. Have sinned worse than the nations around them. And so God has called his prophet to speak. And yet, even in the midst of speaking words of judgment, it's, it's amazing, our God, because he speaks to his people through Ezekiel in a way to really reveal his heart. But before we do that, we're going to start with one of my funnest things. And that's looking at a few church signs. And there is a connection, so bear with me. Um, These are literal church signs that people captured as they were driving by. Um, So, first one, Easter comes once a year. How often do you? Yeah, yeah. The good news is it's not Easter and you're here, so you, you, you pass that. <laughs> All right, so you guys are good. This was, a, this was a, a message on a signboard from Pastor Thomas Ressler, who probably didn't imagine that it could be read this way. Best sausage supper in St. Louis. Come and eat, Pastor Thomas Ressler. <laughs> Um, God is the potter not Harry (laughs) like that that's good you guys are feeling convicted I can tell 10am worship service will I have a mustache in heaven I'm sure there's some importance there somewhere Love doesn't rub it in. Love rubs it out. And I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. But I thought I'd include it. So, Cars aren't the only thing recalled by their maker. Yeah. That one's good. Walmart isn't the only saving place. (laughs) Right? Maybe the church could be too. Need a lifeguard? Ours walks on water. (laughs) My lifeguard doesn't walk on water, but she saved me from myself, and now I'm married to her, so that's good. Um, (laughs) 
That could be a church sign, huh? <laughs> All right. Three more. Jesus is my Prozac. Um, okay, this one has a subtle political dig to it, so I don't want you to think that I'm going one way or the other. I'm just, I'm reading the sign, okay? <laughs> Give God what's right, not what's left. <laughs> yeah, and those are both capitalized, okay? Okay. Okay. This was my last one in the first gathering. I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to, re- I'm going to share one that Nick Weigart shared with me. And I'm, I told him that I would say, he said it because I don't want to be responsible. So this is my last one. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> okay. That could be a sobering one also. Um, and then the one from Nick, Nick Weigart, he said, and this was uh, from a pastor, he said, I upped my giving, up yours. <laughs> that was Nick Weigart, okay. I don't know why you guys are laughing, because it meant up your giving, so I... The, okay. You know, the interesting thing about these signs is that I think that they are an attempt to make Christianity relevant to people by connecting words, phrases in a way that they think people will relate, will identify, that people will identify with the wording on the sign and somehow say, I need to go to church. Um, but what's, what's wrong with the picture? Why do these signs humor us instead of maybe change us? Um, I think the reason is because they don't really identify. It's, it's like insiders, church people, trying to communicate with outsiders in a way that isn't relevant at all, doesn't identify at all because the insiders maybe aren't really identifying with the outsiders. You understand what I mean by insiders, outsiders? How many of you reading the sign as you're driving by a church on the way to the beach and you read Walmart isn't the only saving place would all of a sudden say, I need to go to church today. Pretty rare. Now, contrast these signs with Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22. And this is Paul speaking about identification. Notice he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made it, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, 
so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I think it's the difference between maybe pointing at people and sitting with people. The question I want us to be thinking about this morning is how do we truly identify with someone in order to point them to Jesus? How do we an example of how God uses is Turn to Ezekiel this morning because I think we get a great example of how God uses Ezekiel to identify with his people, with their sin and the consequences of their sin and the shame of their sin in order to open their hearts to hopefully bring some of them to repentance and restoration. The answer, I think, is identification is becoming like people in order to point them to Jesus. Now, what do we mean by that? Um, If we can go to Ezekiel, we're going to read... The, um, we start in verses 1 to 3 with kind of like a, a craft project. So if you're into craft, you'll like this. God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, Son of man, take a block of clay and put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. So he has this block of clay and he's sketching out the city of Jerusalem and he, and then lay a siege to it and erect siege works against it and build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it and put battering rams around it. And for those of you that play G.I. Joes, you're gonna love this, you know? And then take an iron pan, verse three, and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face toward it It will be under siege and you shall besiege it and this will be a sign to the people of Israel. And so as Ezekiel is among the exiles who have been taken away from Jerusalem and he's he's communicating God's word to them, the first thing that God wants them to get is this picture that this city of Jerusalem will be sieged, it will be destroyed, it will be sacked and their hope of it not happening isn't true. That's the object lesson. Now as people see the object lesson, the next thing they're going to see is where Ezekiel himself becomes an object lesson. And again, hopefully something that the people will identify with as they see Ezekiel in a way that it'll draw them to, to see God, to know that he is the Lord and draw them back into a relationship with them. And so there's three ways that God has Ezekiel identify with the people. The first is in verse 4. It's identifying with their sin. Identifying with their sin. Notice he says, Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people upon yourself. So Ezekiel's lying on his left side And it says, you're to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, notice Ezekiel is to bear the sin of the people of Israel. So for 390 days, he's laying on his left side, 
bearing the sin, identifying with the sin of the people of Israel. And then in verse 6, then he switches sides. After you finish this, lie down again, and this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with bared arm, prophesy against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. And so for 430 days, notice, tied with ropes so he can't move, 390 days on his left side, 40 days on his right side, Ezekiel is identifying with the sin. He's, it literally says he's bearing the sin of the people of Israel. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's, for, for one year and two months, one day for every year of the sin of Israel and Judah, he's bearing their sin? And I think the simplest way to describe it is, I think that God wants his people to see through Ezekiel how much their sin hurts him. I think he's, as he's bearing their sin, he's grieving for for 430 days, he's pondering their sin, he's considering their sin, and he's grieving over their sin. That's a long time, right? For 430 days, he's, he's grieving over their sin, and the people are watching as he's identifying over the horribleness of their sin and their rebellion and their abandonment of God, and they're, they're watching as he's just, for 430 days, grieving over their sin. That had to have an impact on some of them, huh? It's like Ezekiel is a picture of Jesus. One of my favorite verses, um, for those of you that know me very well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us a beautiful picture of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, notice it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, sinless, sinless son of God, to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's Jesus identifying with us, with our sin. The sinless son of God going to the cross and hanging there between two criminals. I mean, to me, one of the most vivid pictures in the life of Jesus is Jesus standing in line at the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is standing in line to be baptized by John. And what is everybody thinking? Sinner, right? The sinless son of God standing in line to identify with our sins so when he went to the cross and says it is finished, paid in full he would be the full, once and for all final payment for our sin Jesus identifying with our sin what about us how do, how do we identify with people's sin how do we grieve over someone's sin and not judge it Well, one thing it doesn't mean is what a young man told me, I don't know, at the beginning of the Coffee Oasis, maybe 20 years ago, 18, 19 years ago, as he was trying to justify his pot smoking, he said that he smoked pot so that he could witness to pot smokers. 
don't think that's what it means. What does it mean to identify with people's sins? I think it means that we identify by equally recognizing our own equal sinfulness. Ezekiel laid there bearing their sin, identifying with their sin, grieving over their sin. And the only way that we can identify with others' sinfulness is to understand our own sinfulness, right? You and I are no better. And, and I honestly struggled with this for years, as I've shared before. One of the, one of the most self-righteous, best Pharisees that you could ever imagine looking good on the outside, doing all the right things with my appearance, but on the inside, knowing my own ugliness. Until I really got that it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. I am what I am by God's grace. Every bit as much as any of you and anybody anywhere is, it's by God's grace that we are what we are. And that the sinfulness of a self-righteous person like me takes, in my opinion, more grace. More grace to save, to redeem, than it takes any drug dealer or bank robber or addict or prostitute or murder, murderer that I've had the privilege of being a friend of. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. That's how I believe we identify with other sinfulness. We come to verse 9, and we see that God not only has Ezekiel identify with their sin, but then he has them identify with their suffering, with the consequences of their sin. In verse 9, it says, Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar, and use them to make bread for yourself. I want to go on just a little, little bit of a, a soapbox here for a second. Um, if, if you look on the internet, there's, there's a bread called Ezekiel 4.9. How many of you are aware of Ezekiel? I'm not, I'm not setting you up for the kill, okay? I just, you can raise your hands. My wife, she likes it. To me, it kind of tastes like dirt, but no. <laughs> um, but this is the incredible thing to me, and this is what I want you to get. As, as we look at Ezekiel 4, 9, 10, and 11, I think so often the point is missed. On the internet, it says Ezekiel 4, 9, and there's a little tread, trademark there. Now, for the life of me, I have no idea how somebody can trademark Ezekiel 4, 9, because I don't think they wrote it. But they did. And they call it sprouted grain bread inspired by the Holy Scripture. You must eat that bread. Um, and so they go on to describe the great protein and amino acids. And, and I'm not slamming the bread. I'm, it's good bread, I'm sure. But this is how it ends. And this is what I want you to get. And then I'll be off my soapbox, okay? It ends by saying, this biblical bread is truly the staff of life. I think that might be a little bit of, bit of an overreach. I mean, um, and I think they might have missed the point 
of Ezekiel 4.9. If we can go to the end, verses 15, 16, and 17, this is the point of what we see in Ezekiel 9, 10, and 11. Notice he says, start at verse 16, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair for food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. If we can go back to verse 9, please. It's, it's, it's a famine that is coming and where food and water are going to be rationed. Uh, so God tells them to eat this bread. If we can go to verse 10. Notice, for 390 days, that's all that Ezekiel is eating. So God is giving him some good bread that's going to be healthy and is going to keep him alive. Verse 10, he's only going to eat 20 shekels. Anybody have any idea how much that is? I didn't either. I looked it up. Eight ounces. That's it. Every day, eight ounces of bread. And a sixth of a hen, that's H-I-N, not H-E-N, of water, which is two-thirds of a quart of water. That's not very much water. But because Ezekiel is identifying with the consequences of the sins of the people that they're about ready to face with the siege of Jerusalem so that the people will see him in his identification with the consequences of their sin, only eating eight ounces of bread and drinking two-thirds of a quart of water as he's grieving over their sin. That's the point we're to get. His grieving and identifying with the consequences of their sin. How often do we do that with other people? We see it in Jesus again in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, a beautiful picture of Jesus. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Jesus identifying with the consequences of our sin, our humanity, our humility. Humbling himself in order to go to the cross and save us. What about us? How do we identify with people suffering? One of the phrases that has stuck in my mind over the years goes back to when I pastored a church before starting the Coffee Oasis um, for several years, and it was a church that was made up mostly of older people, like I am now, Um, but I wasn't then. And uh, so I was young and most of the congregation was older. They had experienced a, a split. There was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anger. And a lot of people just wanting the same thing that had always been to happen. And here I was a young guy and I wanted new things to happen. And so there was 
you know, now I have everything right. I have my act together. And, but back then I didn't. <laughs> and uh, so an older gentleman, he was a Dutch gentleman, and I'm Dutch, so that's great. And uh, he came to me and he handed me a piece of paper with a list of things that he wanted me to read, but it was under the title of Walk a Mile in My Klompen. And if you know what klompen are, too bad you're not Dutch. No, I see. It's, uh, it means wooden shoes, okay? So walk a mile in my wooden shoes. And, and what he was very graciously asking me to do was understand me. Understand me. Walk a mile in my, in my klompen. How do we identify with people in their suffering. In, in Tinib-Tiban, where our family lived um, in a village among Muslims in the southern Philippines, it was staying up late at nights when uh, two young men would slip in after dark and through our back door to visit with us because they were both outcasts in this Muslim village. One was a blind young man and he... Um, because he was blind, he was an outcast. He, we paid him to um, draw water from the well from us with for us, and then at night he would slip in to meet with us. The other was a young gay man who was an outcast in this Muslim village, and those two young men would slip in at night, and we'd have the opportunity to sit with them and understand them in their outcast state and their hurt and their pain with the hope of pointing them to Jesus. Maybe for us it's showing kindness to a co-worker or a fellow student who um, doesn't fit in, who's the butt of people's jokes. I mean, for me, it's been a 21-year process as God took a very... Um, self-righteous guy to start the Coffee Oasis 21 years ago, 21-year process of learning to sit with and, and understand and care about the, the hurt and the pain and the brokenness of young people that we serve. Oh. What does identifying with people's suffering mean to you? And how many of us are willing to do it? And what is the point? It's so that identification, that sitting with instead of pointing at, will open their hearts to a Jesus who has identified with them and cares about them and loves them. The last thing we see with Ezekiel, it's not only him identifying with their sin and the consequences of their sin, their suffering, but it's, and it might be the, the hardest thing for us to do, it's him identifying with their shame in verse 12 of Ezekiel 4. Notice verse 12, God tells Ezekiel, eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. And the Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. And so it's, it's through this Ezekiel's life, them seeing the consequences and the shame it's going to lead to as they 
eat food that's baked over human poop in, in a way that defiles them. And then as they're scattered among the nations, as they're led into, uh, by Assyria and, and Babylon, Babylon into other nations, the defiled food that they're going to eat and the shame that's going to be as a result. And, and Ezekiel in verse 14, he, it's, it repulses him. He says, no, sovereign Lord, I have never defiled myself. He's, he's a priest. From my youth until now, I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. And God said, very well, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. God had Ezekiel identify with the shame of the consequences of his people's sin. Sin produces a lot of shame, doesn't it? A lot of humiliation, a lot of embarrassment, Shame is often what keeps us from freedom and healing because because of our efforts to cover it up and not wanting it to be exposed. And again, we get an incredible glimpse of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where Paul says this. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, He's the sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. He humbled himself. He became a human being. He took upon himself humanity so that he could go to the cross and on the way to the cross be betrayed by his closest friends be mocked and spit upon and ridiculed and made fun of. I mean, experienced incredible shame hanging between two criminals on the cross. So people look at him and they see criminal, sinner. Imagine the shame for the eternal God of the universe. Yet for our sakes, he went through that shame so that we, through his poverty, identifying with our sins and the consequences of our sin and the, and the shame, we might be rich. We might be restored to right relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? Can we even begin to understand the shame that Jesus experienced on our behalf and how do we identify with people's shame? I think that the starting point is we, we got to remember ours. We need to remember ours. Our own shame, our own attempts to cover up our own sin, the consequences of our sin to put on an appearance. Um, we need to sit with people without any condemnation and loving them right where they're at. Just loving them right where they're at. Understanding that It's by God's grace that we are who we are. And so we sit with them to offer the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week I I received a call from um, an individual that I haven't seen or spoken to in years, many years. And out of the blue, they called the office to find out how how to contact me. 
they were hurting, going through incredible personal struggles, marriage struggles. But as we talked, the heart of this individual struggle was some incredible shame. Shame that they were struggling with and didn't want anybody to know about. Didn't want anybody, didn't know what to do about it, how to be freed from it, the incredible shame. How do we respond to something like that? Embarrassment, uh, not knowing what to say. Uh, are you kidding me? Gasp. <laughs> but if we learn anything from, from God's object lesson of Ezekiel to us, it's that we got to be people who by the grace of God know that we are who we are by the grace of God. <laughs> That's it, period. And so no matter what we're confronted with, however shocking and however hurtful, however painful, and, and I tell you, over 21 years of working with young people through the Coffee Oasis, I, incredible pain, incredible hurt, incredible sin and abuse that has been done against them and by them. And, and yet the only response to us as we look at Ezekiel's life as he was an object lesson to Israel who did incredible sin, worse than the nations around them, and then experienced those consequences and the shame was to grieve. Was, was, it's, it's like he laid there for 430 days that we sit there. We don't point like a church sign, but we, we sit, we come alongside and we, we sit and we grieve and we understand and by God's grace, we, we just love because we know it's by God's grace that we are who we are. You know, I'm thankful that I wasn't called to be Ezekiel. <laughs> um, but we are called to identify with people in order to point them to Jesus. And that can be hard. Just three things I'd like us hopefully to, to leave with us as we think about Ezekiel's identification. The first thing is, what do we need to do in light of this sermon? I think some of us need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, take the log out of your own eye before you, you know, you look at the speck in somebody else's eye. We need to humble ourselves and remember that it is by God's grace that we are what we are. It's not because we pulled ourselves up our own bootstraps that we somehow are better than anybody else. It's by God's grace that we are who we are. We've got to humble ourselves. Um, the second thing is, is we need to maybe have a fresh look at Jesus. <laughs> Uh, maybe go back over some of those verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 8.9, Philippians 2.5-8, or, or read the, you know, the Gospels and just see Jesus. Do we have any idea how incredibly hard it was for the sinless Son of God, the eternal creator of God in the universe, to take upon himself humanity and walk among our brokenness and our fallenness 
and not point fingers, but just love people and people drawn to him because of his grace and his love and his mercy. The eternal word became a human being and lived among us and that's what he's calling us to do, looking to him that in the same way. The last thing is then to take time to sit with people. Sit with people. People aren't looking for cute sayings, but they're looking for caring friends to come alongside, to sit with them where they are in life, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of the consequences of their sin, not to say you made your bed lie in it, but sitting with them, understanding our own sin and brokenness and shame, sitting with them, understanding, identifying, and loving them and pointing them to Jesus. Man, that's what our world needs, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the picture you've given us in Ezekiel. And thank you how, for me, it's just pointed me to see Jesus and how Jesus just came and humbled himself and identified and died so that we could be free. Then he rose again and he lives today inviting us to to walk with him, to sit with others so they can see Jesus too. God, open our eyes, I prayed. Help us to see Jesus. Amen.